Good morning and welcome to Back Chat with uh, James Ockenden and me, Jim Gould. And in this programme, we'll be looking at the prospects for tourism uh, following the Chief Executive's announcement yesterday that uh, flight bans from nine different countries were going to be removed from April the 1st and the quarantine period for returning residents cut from 14 days to seven. Uh, the Tourism Board is, uh, is putting together a work plan in preparation for the reopening of Hong Kong's borders, uh, uh, hopefully sometime later this year saying the uh, and it's described the lifting of the flight ban on the nine countries as a great step forward um, we're now joined on the line by Dane Cheng executive director of the Hong Kong tourism board uh, who's with us until 9:15. so good morning to you and thanks for joining us good morning everyone uh, it's nice to be here morning Gr great so um, Obviously, the current arrangement just replies to uh, Hong Kong uh, residents uh, returning uh, from uh, overseas. Um, uh, that's in the sort of first phase of the relaxation. Um, uh, how long do you think it may be before we're in a position whereby you know, anybody can come from anywhere in the world and, and Hong Kong tourism will just completely open up again? Right, I think uh, all these measures uh, certainly would be subject to the uh, pandemic situation in Hong Kong. Um, how it's been controlled. Uh, I, I think it's a very good step forward that uh, we're now uh, at least uh, relaxing on the flight bans uh, for the Hong Kong residents to return. So it's everything can go, you know, smoothly. And uh, this wave of pandemic being con contained, I think at least the first thing we could look at would be a recovery to you know, the state where at least the Hong Kong um, local economy, you know, could be revived and recovered, uh, at least to some extent. We're looking at the, the the flight ban relaxed announced yesterday, and of course, one of the big problems with that is the quarantine hotels are um, are still full, and not only just full, but if you look at the cancellation policies, they're very inflexible. I found yesterday. What can the tourism industry do about that? Shouldn't the hotels be a little bit more flexible at this at this difficult time? Yes, I understand that the government have been uh, discussing with the hotels. I have a very close uh, liaison with the hotels on how to deal with the different situations, and and I'm sure that uh, you know they will be uh, in in discussion with the hotel uh, again. Uh, particularly now, it's been. Uh, re reviewed and revised to 14 days so at least a number of days have been reduced so that would be easier but I'm sure that there will be more hotels we will be willing to join in because we understand that there will be quite a good demand from overseas mm. Hong Kong residents returning now, your tourism board has uh, a survey has found that uh, fifty percent of mainland tourists w would choose Hong Kong as a destination uh, when they travel. Um, and I mean, does that suggest that you know we may be seeing later in the year large numbers of uh, mainland visitors coming here? In, in fact, this uh, this survey we carried out was uh, towards. Uh, the second half of last year, when uh, a lot of the countries are just about to reopen, or most of them are still under the uh, restrictive sort of travel. Uh, and we asked people that, okay, um, if in the next couple of months you can start travel again to any Asian destination, mm. which one would you like to go? And of course, we list out all the uh, major uh, destination countries and regions, including Hong Kong. And it, it, was, it, it was quite... Um, um, pleasing for us to see that you know, Hong Kong is around the top three, top five, and particularly in markets in the mainland that we are uh, the top number one because 
I think, you know, given the offers that Hong Kong can, can give. And the other thing, of course, naturally, I mean, for, for the mainland uh, visitors at that time, uh, even at now, I would, I would have thought that, you know, when any uh, places reopen for cross-border travel with the mainland, Hong Kong would certainly be on a priority list. And so, you know, the choice that uh, uh, for, uh, for the mainland tourists to see that if there's a chance they're going to visit, you know, Hong Kong is topped on that list. So this is something quite pleasing to know. But again, it would be subject to all the uh, pandemic situation, control uh, in Hong Kong and also in the mainland. Uh, we certainly at this point, we don't know when and how uh, the reopening or uh, reopening for travel would look mm. like for Hong Kong. But I think at least we want to uh, we have we have a roadmap to see what's going to happen uh, for locally the sort of the recovery. Uh, and you, I know you're also making various preparations. I mean, this year, for instance, is the 25th anniversary of the establishment of the SAR, um, the handover on uh, July the 1st, and you're planning certain uh, large-scale events around that period. But in fact, uh, every year we uh, we've do uh, large-scale events, uh, but this year particularly, celebrating for the, uh, the 25th anniversary, uh, then uh, we, we've been uh, uh, helping out, I think, along with any other organizers. Uh, the first one actually brought out was uh, the countdown uh, concert uh, that we had uh, on the New Year's Eve just passed, and but quite unfortunately, after that uh, countdown concert, uh, the ceremony, and uh, you know the whole place, you know, uh, got into lockdown. But we have got our plans prepared. The important thing is that we have different sort of scenario planning. Uh, what if you know the um, the social distancing measures are not being relaxed? You know, what do we do? But uh, we hope that you know, if gradually things could open up. Uh, then, you know, all these uh, events could be held uh, physically. And uh, at the moment, uh, what we are looking at is um, there is a trend that a lot of these uh, events or even, you know, conventions are being held in hybrid mode. So physical and virtual online, you know, could be held at the same time. So, uh, but at, at least, you know, most of our events are being looked at uh, for the middle of the year and also towards the second half of the year. Do you think and it's appropriate, course, though, for, yeah. um, for, to be planning, for example, July the 1st, you know, mega events? Uh, surely the pandemic won't be completely over by then. Is it appropriate to be planning this sort of thing? Yeah, it would be, as I said, it all depends on the pandemic situation mm. and also the social distancing rules. We are only part of the whole sort of celebration events, not everything. It's organised by the Tourism Board. Uh, like, you know, the, the first uh, event that would be uh, we'll be supporting would be uh, from end of May, so there's still about two months, and we hope that if everything sort of goes as it is now, the uh, the whole pandemic wave could recede, then uh, the Art Basel um, would be would be a great thing for Hong Kong to sort of step you know step step back out uh, and celebrating art in Hong Kong as the sort of first celebration then. June, July, we'll see the opening of the Hong Kong Palace Museum. Again, you know, a big milestone for Hong Kong, sort of art and culture, being the art and culture uh, hub in the region. Let's talk about, actually, the Palace Museum is very interesting because I was down there at the weekend. Yeah. And the M Plus is much vaunted by the Hong Kong uh, tourism officials. But if you look at it, the North Lawn there has just been torn out to create a car park. And the whole place is, is really designed around vehicles. It's designed around cars. It's not really a place for locals to go so much. It looks like it's going to be people coming in on the high-speed rail, mostly. Is, it, is that a fair assessment? 
I don't think so. I think they're making a lot of uh, uh, some adjustments uh, to the park uh, and also to the uh, to the district, uh, so that uh, it could be more um, easier for large number of visitors to visit. At the moment, the car park, I understand, has been an issue. Uh, when we talk to the trade, the travel trade in Hong Kong, even um, the uh, the coaches taking uh, local tourists to visit uh, the M Plus Museum and also visiting the park, you know, had find problems, get problems in uh, parking. So I think they are making you know right adjustment uh, uh, in the in the sort of infrastructure to make it more sort of easily available and accessible. But destroying lawns to make car parks is that is that really the right way forward? The, the waterfront lawns. I mean, in terms of tourism, that would seem to me a very backward step. Yet, so I'd better check with them and okay, see what's okay. going to happen. Let, let's look at your work plan that yeah, you're going yes. to present to, uh, to LegCo. You've got $1.4 billion to play with, roughly. Um, a large part of that seems to be promoting Hong Kong to the Greater Bay Area, to the cities there. Do you think, is that, is that, is that correct? Most, of the, um, most yes. of the visitors will be coming from the Greater Bay Area. Like what? What like examples? The, uh, the West Kowloon neighborhood, something that we uh, we wrote out last year. Um, it's initially, it's about to introducing um, the Hong Kong, the West Kowloon Cultural District, the M Plus, and all the facilities there. But at the same time, we tie it in with the old districts, traditional district, the neighborhood of Hong Kong, like the Jordans and the Yamate. Now, previously, we have rolled out neighborhood programs like Cham Shui Po and the Old Town Central that have been proven to be a success. The, the, uh, the new tourists or visitors, you know, are post-pandemic, you know, the, all these sort of uh, research have pointed out that people will be looking for more in-depth experience, immersive experience uh, of the culture of, a, of, of their destination. So this will be part of that, you know, to promote that um, neighborhood uh, in Hong Kong. And also we want to be able to um, talk up about Hong Kong's a lot of the uh, art and culture elements of Hong Kong. No, not, not just the one month of uh, art bar, so that month, but we ongo as an ongoing experience um, to attract not just people you know, from the world, but everywhere uh, to establish Hong Kong uh, as the art hub. Okay, now you're hiring uh, 400 super fans, I understand, as part of that work plan as well. Who will they be and what sort of people are you looking for there? Well, we have been having uh, quite a good number of uh, super fans. Uh, they are the uh, people who are close to Hong Kong, who love Hong Kong, who are connected to Hong Kong in some way. There are people who are in Hong Kong themselves and still living here in Hong Kong, expatriates, uh, who have been in Hong Kong for, for some time. Um, and actually making Hong Kong their home. There are also people who have left Hong Kong, stayed overseas, uh, they um, not returning to their, their home countries or base. Uh, they are all, you know, all sort of people. They are businessmen, they are entrepreneurs, they are designers, they are KOLs, 
their journalists. So everyone got their own story to tell, have their own circle of interest, uh, things that they love uh, about Hong Kong, that they want to talk about Hong Kong. So that it has been a great program. We call it the Superfans, uh, including people from mainland China who stay in mainland or who are living in Hong Kong. So it's a fantastic program. We, we love to have them, you know, telling about Hong Kong stories. Okay. Well, thanks very much uh, to you for, for telling us uh, all about that. Uh, that was uh, Dane Cheng there, Executive Director of the Hong Kong Tourism Board. And we're joined uh, by a couple of other guests now, but uh, uh, just before I introduce them, uh, uh, just to let you know that I have a number of uh, emails, uh, some left over from yesterday, which we didn't get to in time. I'm going to read them at the end of the programme, I think, because we, uh, like, as I say, we do have another two guests uh, on the line. We'll be speaking in a moment to uh, David Costello, the Consul General of, uh, to, of Ireland to Hong Kong and Macau, and also John App, a visiting professor and director of uh, the Global Centre for Tourism, Education and Training at the Macau Institute for Tourism Studies. Uh, just before that, I'll read uh, one uh, email from uh, Peter, says... Uh, Dear Backchat, uh, while the easing of international travel restrictions is most welcome, the government seems to have ignored the randomised chaos created by the individual airline 14-day bans. With almost every other country now living with COVID and with it becoming endemic, four cases in seven days will occur repeatedly on the busy routes. The result is a very stressful lottery for travellers and chaos for the airline and hotel booking systems. This is not the airline's fault. Let's not confuse this with mistakes with paperwork. It's a statistically inevitable consequence of a poorly thought-through measure that is now uh, well outdated. Until this is addressed, uh, travel will remain unpredictable, impractical and highly stressful for everybody. That from Peter uh, referring to the situation whereby individual uh, airlines are banned uh, for uh, usually, I think, for two weeks, um, as long, you know, if a certain number of uh, cases are found among incoming travellers. Yeah, big thank, concern, that thank one. You for, yes, yeah. that's right. Thank you for that, uh, uh, Peter. Um, uh, uh, David Costello, um, good morning. Perhaps uh, if we could ask you first. Um, I, I believe you've just uh, returned fairly recently from Ireland, so we wanted to ask you what were your observations there of uh, a country um, opening up um, you know, uh, post the latest uh, COVID-19 uh, you know, COVID wave? Uh, morning, Jim. Uh, I, before I start, I just wanted to kind of, uh, kind of be conscious that... Um, Yesterday, there was more reported deaths in Hong Kong from COVID than there has been in the entire 2020 and 21 put together. And unfortunately, that has not been a one-off. That's been the situation virtually every day through March. Last week was a national day. And, you know, our message from myself, the message from the Prime Minister of Ireland was one of overwhelming empathy with the Hong Kong people. It's, it's, a, it's a tragic time at the moment. Mm. Very difficult. And we're just acutely, acutely conscious of... Uh, of the pain and suffering and anger and frustration of, of Hong Kong people. So I just wanted to kind of say that up front and kind of temper my remarks that are uh, around that. You know, I don't want to be talking about an Ireland opening up in the context of the huge pain and suffering that's, that's happening here. Uh, I mean, the one thing I'll say about Ireland over the last couple of weeks uh, is that we had the Omicron wave through December and January. I was back home, reunited with my family for Christmas, who I hadn't seen uh, since September. Um, we were dealing 
with 23,000 cases a day at Christmas. Um, and, you know, we got through that wave by, by about mid-January. Uh, the cases are still very high. I mean, it was our national day last week, Patrick's Day. It's been a long weekend. And we've had 60,000 cases over the weekend in Ireland. Um, but, you know, we're still, we stood down, really, our national emergency planning team. Uh, but that doesn't say, that's not to mean that the pandemic is over. You know, what we are measuring is what are the, what are the number of people dying and impacted by the virus, the pressure on the hospital systems. These are the measurements that we're using to kind of try and manage how, how, how we deal with the pandemic, you know. And the key thing for us and the key indicator has always been vaccines. Vaccines protect you know, just looking at the latest round of vaccines, there is nobody in Ireland over the age of 60 that hasn't been vaccinated. In fact, 96% of the people over the age of 60 have been boosted at this stage. And even if you go down to the over 50, 88% of people over the age of 50 are boosted at this stage. And that's what provides protection, you know. So, so it depends, you know, the, the kind of lessons from Ireland has been very much around uh, we kind of maintained the degree of kind of uh, suppression around social distancing through the month of December because we were conscious of the, the impact that the wave was going to have in hospital services. Uh, but it just buys time to vaccinate people. That's the point of these lockdowns. And so there's a kind of a degree, everything's gone back to normal, you know, even though our, uh, numbers are high. We had 50,000 people in the Aviva Stadium watching a rugby match last weekend. We had over a quarter of a million people on the streets of Dublin for St. Patrick's Day parades uh, last week. Uh, but we're very conscious, you know, there's been a lot of pain and suffering and on Sunday last we had a day of remembrance for people who had lost their lives over the last two years and that's 6,600 people uh, in Ireland that have lost their lives over the last two years and that's, a, that's you know, that's a, a lot of families, a lot of friends that have lost a loved one because of this pandemic and so, so while I'm saying things are back to normal, I don't want to in any way minimize the pain and suffering that, 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 that people have, have had to deal with over the last two years. Jim. Sure, sure, I understand completely, yeah. How is the Irish community uh, here in Hong Kong doing? Um, a lot have gone. You know, there's um, a lot. There's a lot of people that have left over the last couple of weeks. Um, and again, you know, I, I had, a, had to send out a uh, community message at the end of February to try and put stuff in context. You know, uh, for people. Um, but there's a genuine. There was a lot of fear when really separating you know, families and children when the announcement of extended school holidays happened. People said, "Well, let's take the opportunity to go." Um, and we're dealing with a huge amount of passport applications uh, from particularly people with children uh, trying expedite them, you know, uh, and so a lot of people have gone to take a break. For many people, they have been here well over two years without leaving Hong Kong at this stage, and there was a point in which they said we need to take a break, and, and that's something that kind of, even even though the Omicron wave was, was raging in Ireland, I, you know, I found the value of being away to kind of see things in a different context was, yeah. was, was, was invaluable in terms of just taking a break from, from, the, from the pressure over the last couple of years. In many ways, Hong Kong has been one of the best places to be during 2020 and 2021. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, the, the impact of the pandemic on people's lives has been, has been pretty horrific. And, uh, you know, so I think that we have to wait and see and see what the drift back will be. But again, I, I, I emphasize these for many, many people. These are not people that have just come in the last two years, three years to do a bit of work and leave. These are people that have, in many cases, born here, have their children here. You know, Hong Kong is their home. You know, there may be the Irish community in Hong Kong, but Hong Kong is their home. Ireland mm. is not their home. But they have gone back to family, gone back to friends over the last couple of weeks um, mm. uh, just to take a break mm. and then just to reassess where things are at. But the overriding driver of that has been 
Okay, uh, we also have with us uh, John App uh, in Macau. Professor John App, good morning to you. Good morning. Yeah, it's been a while since we've uh, spoken. What, what's the latest uh, from Macau? Well, the situation in Macau is that um, the number of cases is still low. I think uh, 82, 83 uh, cases and zero deaths. Now, sorry, sorry uh, to st I'm, 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 so, I'm so, sorry to st stop you there, but those numbers are really quite extraordinary, aren't they? Eighty-three cases yes, and zero yes. deaths, and you know. Uh, sorry, go on. Yeah. Um, so, so the situation um, has been, you know, fairly good for for those of us in Macau at the moment, and uh, as you may be aware, um, there has been cross-border travel permitted uh, from the mainland to Macau. So. Subsequently, you know, the, the industry here in Mar tourism industry in Macau is very much better than uh, in the case in Hong Kong. But mind you, um, whenever there is uh, you know, an infection you know, in neighbouring areas such as Zhuhai, uh, obviously over there there is an immediate uh, lockdown uh, that, that takes place and that impacts upon the tourism industry. So um, again, the uncertainties have been impacting upon the, the, the tourism industry. And, um, you know, you, you've just got to live with that uncertainty. That, that seems to be the certainty of uh, the, the, the pandemic. I mean, with allowing uh, uh, mainland residents to come into Macau, um, how has Macau managed to keep the, uh, keep, to keep the virus out, essentially? Well, um, obviously, for anyone uh, travelling across the border, the... Uh, nucleic acid tests have to be undertaken and obviously you, you need to understand that uh, there are a lot of uh, workers here in Macau who in, in fact uh, cross the, the border on a daily basis. Now that becomes quite um, yeah. inconvenient for them, yeah, particularly if the requirement is that uh, it has to be you know, 24 hours and it has extended up to you know, uh, seven days. So uh, it does place havoc on, on the tourism industry so for example the uh, 10k uh, run fun run um, that was organized uh, for uh, last Sunday was uh, cancelled uh, the, the day before um, and part of the reason there was because uh, there are a lot of mainland uh, participants in this uh, particular fun run so the authorities are very cautious uh, in making sure that um, they undertake whatever measures as possible to uh, you know, prevent the, the spread of the, the virus. And uh, for those who uh, do not come from, from the mainland or a hotspot in the mainland, uh, you know, people have to come in and undertake a 14-day you know, quarantine in the hospital or in a... Uh, quarantine hotel. John, you're an expert in uh, in tourism and the impact of tourism and sort of tourism sentiments. Are you, are you looking at Hong Kong? Are you still doing those Ocean Park uh, exit interviews, for example? No, no, no. Not, not, <laughs> not since I've uh, left Hong Kong. Right. But, um, yeah, certainly, I mean, when, when we look at the, the relaxation of the, um, the of the measures introduced by you know, the chief executive yesterday, I think it's a, a right step and certainly welcomed by the industry. Um, you know, even though there has been a reduction in the quarantine period, um, I think there is a, a recognition of the, the realities that, as we know, Omicron um, 
you know, has less severe symptoms uh, for, for those who, who catch it. So it really boils down to a question of, well, uh, when are we going to decide to live with the, the virus? And you know, if you look at Australia, the situation there was that, uh, similar to, to Hong Kong. Uh, things have been well under control, um, so much so that, um, you know, if you were an Australian and you needed to return to Australia, you had to obtain approval from the government uh, to return, um, which was uh, a, a bit ludicrous. Here, you know, you're a citizen, you know, of, of Australia and you have to uh, get, get approved by the government to, to return. Now, in late um, or in mid uh, this December, uh, with the very high vaccination rate, double vaccination rate in Australia, uh, the government changed policy and said, all right, um, you can live. Uh, we've decided that the policy will be to live with the virus. And yes, you know, Omicron has spread. But the key factor in the Australian situation is that they're not focusing on the number of cases, but looking at the hospitalisation and the number of people in ICU. So Australia has been now living you know, with the the virus and, uh, and we know places such as Singapore has done likewise. So it's a question of you know, when will the mainland authorities uh, relax its policy which in turn uh, will flow on to the SARs of Hong Kong and Macau. Okay, well, ever-developing situation. Uh, uh, thank you both very much. Uh, as I said, I've got quite a few uh, listener emails to get through, so uh, we'll have to bring it to a close there. Uh, that was John App, Visiting Professor and Director of Global Centre for Tourism, Education and Training at the Macau Institute for Tourism Studies. And thanks also very much to David Costello, Consul General of uh, Ireland to Hong Kong and Macau. Um, so a few emails. Uh, this one from uh, Alan says, uh, it's odd that uh, Carrie is so sensitive to people's right to not to be vaccinated when she's been working so hard to erase so many other rights. Uh, anyway, the problem is uh, information and trust, the choice to push for the ineffective uh, Sinovax for patriotic reasons has destroyed trust in medical advice for the government and the spread of anti-vaxxer misinformation about vaccines in general has affected many. So there has to be some carrot and stick in New York. They gave free hamburgers for vaccination. Bribery works. Make the next cash handout dependent on being vaccinated uh, by a real mRNA vaccine, uh, not the waste of time uh, Sinovax. Uh, limit uh, access to restaurants to unvaccinated. Don't allow anyone to cross the border either way unvaccinated. That's from Alan. We should probably add that Sinovac isn't a waste of time. It does well, protect against disease. That, uh, serious that, uh, a lot of our medical experts say uh, it's a personal choice and um, both the vaccines are effective. Quite right. Um, Nick says, now that so many have had COVID and thereby have immunity for the time being, shouldn't immunity levels in the elderly be the sum of the vaccinated plus those who are recovered and are waiting uh, to uh, the one, two, three months before getting vaccinated. And uh, this from uh, this one from uh, James says, oh, sorry, uh, that's about uh, that was a question for Mike Rouse from yesterday. Sorry, um, Mike is that was me yesterday. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Richard says, why is RCE so worried and sensitive to the wants of the elderly Chinese community as she is very non-sensitive to many others in the community, especially the business community? That from uh, Richard. 
And uh, a, a message from Guy uh, relating to our, our back chat subject for yesterday was about land supply. It says, uh, provided that any legal amendments to speed up land supply are restricted to land required for public housing and necessary public amenities and not for private housing, commerce, manufacturing, etc., then fine. That from Guy. Um, I've got more emails. They'll have to wait till tomorrow, I'm afraid. Uh, again, time has caught up with us. Um, thank you very much to our listeners. Thanks to you, James. Thank you, Jim. And uh, we'll see you next time. And a quick look at the weather before we go to the new summary and morning brew. Um, mainly cloudy and foggy with a few showers. Uh, the uh, isolated thunderstorms later and showers will become more frequent. Light to moderate southeasterly winds. The outlook becoming cooler appreciably tomorrow. Showers will be heavy at times with more thunderstorms at first. Windy with occasional showers in the following couple of days. It's currently 23 degrees, humidity 93%. Elderly are at high risk of life-threatening conditions from COVID-19. The virus can damage one's heart, lungs and brain. It may cause multiple organ failure that requires intubation in an ICU. After effects can hamper a recovery. Vaccines reduce risks of serious illness, hospitalization and death. Experts advise that any elderly person who has had a flu shot can safely receive COVID-19 vaccines. Get vaccinated early. The new summary with Andrew Shirovsky. Boeing Chief Executive Dave Calhoun has told employees that the plane manufacturer has offered the full support of its technical experts in the investigation of the crash of a China Eastern Airlines 737-800 airplane yesterday in Guangxi. Media reports have cited a rescue official as saying the plane had disintegrated on impact, with the People's Daily quoting a provincial firefighting department official as saying there was no sign of life among the debris. Cash-strapped developer China Evergrande says it won't be able to publish its financial results by March the 31st as required by stock listing rules because audit work has not yet been completed. And the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has said his country will never bow to ultimatums from Russia to surrender its biggest cities. That's the news from RTHK. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, interpreter of Beethoven. So we're oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decipher of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Welcome to Tuesday, our morning brew. Good morning, I'm back with you. Thanks as always to James Ross for a great bit of brewing yesterday. Here we go, Jared Watt's going to be with us at 10.40 for this week's helping of top Aussiness with a bit of news and more great tunes from Down Under. Dr. Merrin Pierce is back at 11.40 on This World War Today, live from New Zealand, to celebrate three million electronic items recycled at Wee Park with Nigel Matravers, the waste and resource recovery specialist from Alba Group. He's the guy with all the wonderful machines, and he takes you around on Facebook Live for a good look. So hopefully we'll do some of that today. And after 12, we're going to begin in 1989 with Maurice Misalowski live from Melbourne, who's going to fill you in on long-termism. PDM to get us going this morning, Pink Flamingo. Rhythm.